In a federal courtroom in Alexandria, Virginia, special counsel Robert Mueller wins his first big victory as Paul Manafort, President Trump's former campaign chairman, is convicted of eight counts of tax evasion and bank fraud. That same afternoon, in another courtroom in New York City, Michael Cohen, the president's longtime personal lawyer, pleads guilty to eight more crimes, including two involving violations of federal election laws that he says he committed at the direction of the president. Are the walls closing in on President Trump? Have we entered new legal territory that could pose a mortal danger to his presidency? We'll discuss with a power lineup that includes Lanny Davis, one of Michael Cohen's lawyers, and we'll hear directly from another potentially key witness against the president, Amorosa Manigault Newman. All that and more, including a guest appearance by Trump defender Ann Coulter on today's episode of Skullduggery. There is absolutely no collusion. I didn't make a phone call to Russia. I have nothing to do with Russia. Everybody knows it. Because people have got to know whether or not their presidents are crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostages. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true. But the facts and the evidence tell me it is not. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. The British government has learned that Saddam Hussein recently sought significant quantities of uranium from Africa. How many times do I have to answer this question? Can you just say Russia yes no is a it? ruse. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. You know, Danny, we've been covering political scandals and federal investigations for a long time, but I can't remember a moment quite like this one when two close associates of the president are convicted of serious federal felonies within a few moments of each other. No, it was an extraordinary week. Um, and I think you'd have to go back to Watergate um, when in March of 1974, federal grand jury indicted, uh, I think, about seven different um, Nixon aides, including uh, some of Nixon's closest aides, uh, Bob Haldeman, um, John Ehrlichman, um, yep. and, uh, and John Mitchell, the attorney general. Um, so, you know, this is in some ways a, a kind of a soap opera, crazy presidency. And there are these moments where we say, well, it can't get any crazier than this. Um, this was a crazy moment, but it was also a really, truly substantive moment and a, a moment that uh, that uh, uh, that, that constitutes real peril for this president. We've got a lot to unpack here. Will Manafort now flip on the president or will Trump pardon him? Uh, what more does Michael Cohen have to say about what he knows about Trump's knowledge of Russian interference? Or is some of what's being hinted at uh, just bluster by one of his lawyers? Um, and um, uh, also, you know, what more does Amorosa have to say? We'll ask her. Uh, but before we get to that and get to the show, I just want to take note of President Trump's latest interview with Fox News in which he says, and I love this, if I'm impeached, the market will crash. Basically, the president is holding your 401k hostage unless he gets off. Absolutely. You know, it's uh, pocketbook politics. Uh, <laughs> at its, uh, at its uh, most crass. Uh, anyway, let's get on with the show. Now we have uh, the man of the hour uh, of the day, maybe the week, uh, one of the personal lawyers for Michael Cohen, who has just pled guilty to multiple federal felonies in court, uh, his lawyer, Lanny Davis. Lanny, welcome to Skullduggery. 
Thank you. Welcome back to Skullduggery. Welcome we back say. to Skullduggery. Yes. Nice to be here. So, look, um, obviously, I- enormous news with Michael Cohen's uh, guilty plea in federal court. Um, but you made uh, pretty big news yourself uh, right after when you went on Rachel Maddow and suggested that Michael Cohen has more to say uh, that's directly relevant to Robert Mueller's investigation. Number one, about suggesting he has knowledge of prior knowledge by Donald Trump of the Russian hacking uh, during 2016, and he's also aware of Trump's knowledge of the Trump Tower meeting, correct? Not correct. First okay. of all, as I thought I heard latter, you say that, but go ahead. I only, I only refer to the possibility, so you left the word possible out, uh, that he could be helpful of interest to Mr. Mueller on the issue of whether or not Mr. Trump had prior knowledge of emails being illegally hacked by a foreign government to help his campaign and harm Hillary Clinton's campaign. So I put the word possible in and I put the words whether or not, because I'm not sure. Uh, but I did say that I thought that what he had to say would be of interest. Well, Lanny, I got to say that sounds like a tease and perhaps a very misleading tease. If you're telling us now, you don't know whether he knows anything about whether the president had prior knowledge of the Russian hacking, but it's possible. I just don't know what he's got to say. Is that what you're saying now? No, I do know what he has to say. I'm not sure how Mr. Mueller will hear it. I I said that I think what he has to say will be of interest. So I know what he has to say. Of interest because it could be either inculpatory or exculpatory. Well, it wouldn't be in, it, it wouldn't be uh, of interest if it was exculpatory. Well, why not? So I, would I mean, say it, it, wouldn't it Okay, so 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 what he what you think he knows Maybe, but I I am saying that what I think he knows would be of interest because it would cast um, Mr. Trump in a position of knowing ahead of time that emails had been hacked and would be dropped and hurt Hillary Clinton's campaign. I don't know that with certainty, so it's not a tease. I've never, I've never been accused of being, I've been accused of being a lot of things, Michael, but never a tease. <laughs> uh, well, I, I'm not sure you've unteased this, Larry, you're, because you you're, just you're said, accustomed to my being uh, categorical and certain and passionate on this. I'm being cautious, but it's not intentionally misleading. It's simply uncertainty as to what Mr. Mueller thinks when he hears what Mr. Cohen has to say. All right. So um, you have said uh, as well that um, uh, your client, Mr. Cohen, is also willing to tell his story to the congressional committees investigating this matter. Um, Is he uh, and how uh, quickly is he willing to do that? And is he willing to do it in public? Well, that's up to the committees, whether it's public. You know that the intelligence committees have different rules than most committees about public testimony. But the answer is yes. If the committee is uh, of the mind to make his testimony public, then of course. Well, not make his testimony public. Do it in public. Uh, That's the way things work during Watergate, Iran-Contra, every major political scandal you and I have been aware of for many decades now. Congress held hearings in public before the TV cameras in which key witnesses such as Michael Cohen would testify under oath. 
Well, if you're asking me whether I favor public testimony, the answer is yes. You asked me, I thought about the intelligence committees and they have their own rules about making hearings public or not. But yes, uh, would he be willing to testify in public and do I favor that? Yes. Lanny, is it your expectation that um, Cohen will be a cooperating witness for the Mueller investigation? Um, and, and, and if so, why wasn't that part of this plea agreement? So I can't tell you um, for two reasons what was part of the plea agreement. I wasn't there during the negotiation, and that was quite deliberate because I wanted the ability to talk uh, to people like yourselves. And had I been there, I might have been the subject of a gag order. I didn't want to risk that. And secondly, the details of the negotiations uh, remain to be uh, worked out. They're still issues uh, regarding length, length of sentence and other issues to be worked out. So we're just going to have to be patient to see uh, what the final agreement is and what the final sentence Let me just take you back to um, what you were saying before about his uh, possible information that uh, would be of interest to Robert Mueller. Um, I- I'm confused right. about this because um, uh because Michael Cohen did testify behind closed doors to the Senate Intelligence Committee and the House Intelligence Committee. And in he released his, his opening statement to the Senate Intelligence Committee. And he said then, given my – and this is September of last year – Uh, Given my own proximity to the president of the United States as a candidate, let me also say that I never saw anything, not a hint of anything, that demonstrated his involvement in Russian interference in our election or any form of Russian collusion. So how does that square with what you're telling us now, which is that he has... Um, information of interest to uh, Robert Mueller uh, that could shed light on the president's prior knowledge of Russian hacking during the election? Well, part of the problem with your question is that you're using words that Mr. Trump defines in a certain limited fashion, like collusion, collusion, collusion. And uh, he's forgetting, and I don't think you intentionally omitted, a conspiracy to commit a crime is a crime. And if it involves the invasion of our electoral process and there's a plan to do so, then there's a crime being committed. And so my reason for mentioning to Rachel Maddow and to you is that Michael Cohen is not done talking to the special prosecutor or anyone else about what his uh, knowledge is concerning uh, Donald Trump's level of involvement, level of knowledge in what might be illegal activity in interfering in our election. It doesn't have to involve the word collusion. In a statement that uh, Richard Burr, the chairman of the Intelligence Committee, and uh, Mark Warner, the vice chairman, put out uh, after uh, Michael Cohen's guilty plea, uh, in which they asked him they, uh, to come back and testify uh, to the committee again. Mr. Cohen, uh, they, they said, uh, had testified before the committee that he was not aware of the meeting, the Trump Tower meeting, prior to its disclosure in the press last summer. As such, the committee inquired of Mr. Cohen's legal team, I assume that includes you, as to whether Mr. Cohen stood by his testimony they responded that he did stand by his testimony. So um, please help us how he could stand by his testimony that he knew nothing of the Trump Tower meeting when you're now telling us he does know something about Trump's knowledge of the Trump Tower meeting. I didn't say that he had knowledge of the Trump Tower meeting ahead of time. We were talking about knowledge of potential hacking 
and illegal interference in our electoral system. Regarding his answer to the senators and to the intelligence committee, he stands by his answer regarding the way the press reported this issue. I can only say that we did not confirm and would not confirm the press reports as they were reported. And on some other occasion, when the special counsel is done and when we're done, uh, we'll be able to explain all that. Lanny, um, let's uh, go back for a second to the conduct for which uh, Michael Cohen pleaded guilty earlier this week uh, and implicated uh, the the president um, in in that um, conduct, um, the uh, hush you know the directing Cohen to give hush money allegedly directing Cohen to give uh, hush money uh, to these women who the president allegedly had affairs with. Does the does does Michael Cohen believe that that is um, an impeachable f- offense by uh, President Trump? And if so. Uh, would he willingly um, uh, testify in impeachment proceedings um, in the in the House and and then in a trial in the Senate? Well, he would certainly testify if invited as to the facts of what he knows. And what he knows is that Donald Trump personally told him to pay the money because he, Donald Trump, didn't want anybody to know that he was paying the money and that he would be reimbursed as Rudy Giuliani himself admitted after contradicting Donald Trump's statement on Air Force One that he knew nothing about the payment to Ms. McDonald's. A complete and total lie, which Giuliani said, well, it's no crime to lie to the American people or to the media, I think he said. So uh, he most certainly would testify that Mr. Trump directed him. Does he believe that Trump should be impeached? You know, I hate to tell you what he believes. I'd rather you ask him. Uh, I I will tell you that he believes that when a president, if proven, commits a felony by paying hush money to avoid a bad story to hurt his candidacy, that is a violation of the campaign finance laws. It is a crime. It is a felony. And uh, certainly, in my view, it's an abuse of power and is an impeachable offense. But Uh, Lanny, uh, uh, let me add one other quick comment on that. Mm-hmm. Let's not forget that the prosecutors, United States attorneys, prosecutors corroborated and helped craft the statement that Mr. Cohen took responsibility for, that he was, and the words were carefully chosen, part of a coordinated and directed activity to hide the campaign contribution, which is what it was. Mr. Trump thinking there's a difference between campaign funds and personal funds. As usual, he ignores what the actual law says. There is no difference. And that is a corruption of our democracy if you uh, secretly violate the campaign donation limits in order to avoid a bad story that might have affected the outcome. Uh, Lanny, last question, because I know you got to go. But I want to take you back to that uh, testimony that uh, um, Michael Cohen gave before the Senate last September when he said, I never saw anything, not a hint of anything that demonstrated his, President Trump's involvement in Russian interference in our election or any form of Russian collusion. Was he telling the truth? Uh, He was telling the truth, but there's a problem in some of the words used there. So I could... Those were his words. Well, and and the definition is what the issue is. There have been follow-up questions as to how do you define collusion and how do you define different words and we get into wordsmith. And so let's just state it in plain English. If he were asked, were you aware of Mr. Trump's uh, level of awareness before the hacking illegally done by a foreign government? Were you aware that Mr. Trump might have known and didn't call the FBI, uh, I don't think you would have gotten the answer that you just read. But that question wasn't asked. And when the time comes for Mr. Cohen and Mr. Mueller, Mr. Mueller to digest what Mr. Cohen has to say, uh, we'll see what Mr. Mueller piecing together other pieces of evidence comes up with. But and you believe that's... T- it's, uh, it's, 
it could be an impeachable offense as well as the admission of a felony, which we've already heard as of yesterday. But do you believe that time will come when uh, Bob Mueller or members of his team will will ask will be asking Michael Cohen that question? Uh, aside from your verb tense, uh, the answer is yes. Have you heard from them yet? The answer to that question is I can't answer. All right. Well, look, uh, when that time comes, the time will also come for you to be back on Skullduggery as our guest. <laughs> so, um, so may I make a final comment being on this uh, incredibly entertaining uh, <laughs> I hope you would add uh, incredibly yeah. entertaining and informative. informative. Yes. Yeah. If you can add that word, please. Here's my comment for all your, your legions of listeners. Being on this podcast and being asked questions, especially by my, Michael Istoff, no, no offense intended, <laughs> is the functional equivalent of a root canal without <laughs> I take that with great pride. And, it's, it's a compliment. Uh, that will compliment. earn you many return visits on Skullduggery, yeah. Lanny. I just want, I just want to say for the record that I'm not the dental assistant here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. All right, thanks, thanks Lanny. And now, uh, to help us make sense of... Um, that Lanny Davis's comments, as well as everything else that happened this week uh, in the Trump legal arena, is um, Amy Jeffress, uh, former counselor to Attorney General Eric Holder, longtime uh, assistant U.S. attorney, and now a uh, white collar defense lawyer for Arnold and Porter. Uh, Amy, welcome to Skullduggery. Thank you. It's great to be with you. All right. So, uh, Tell us what you made of Lanny Davis's comments on our show. I'm very puzzled by those comments and the strategy generally. Uh, the uh, timing of Michael Cohen's plea suggests that there was some reason to take it now. And the hint that Lanny Davis is offering that Michael Cohen is willing to cooperate is, well, it's more than a hint. He's strongly suggested that Michael Cohen is willing to cooperate. But in my experience, if you want to uh, engage with a cooperator, the process takes a long time and you want to meet with the cooperator multiple times to gain all of the information that the person has to offer and then figure out what the level of culpability is and with that information structure a plea agreement that takes all of that into account and protects you as the prosecutor from uh, any allegations that you have let the person off and not uh, given a full picture to a jury if that's what you're looking at uh, uh, about that person's culpability. So this is just a very different process if this is a potential cooperator than anything I've so seen. So let me let me ask follow up on that because I mean what you're suggesting is that for some reason that we don't quite understand they may have had to hurry this up uh, and not go through that uh, methodical process to put together that kind of a deal. Um, but the alternative possibility is that uh, they didn't really want him as a cooperator. They didn't need him. Is that is that unfat? I mean, is that like? You, unfathomable? I mean, is that something that, that is hard to believe? No, it's not. And that is one possibility. And and let me just say that I have no inside information about this. I'm just speaking about what's been made public, uh, as, as you all are trying to interpret what's been made public. <clears throat> so it is possible that they uh, don't really need Michael Cohen, and they've decided that. And so they wanted him to plead guilty to now, the Now, they being that, the U.S. attorney in New York or Robert Mueller? 
Well, it's the U.S. attorney in New York that has uh, negotiated the plea agreement and right. brought the documents in court. But I am confident that they are working with uh, the Mueller team because the Mueller team is still part of the Department of Justice. And they've been closely coordinating with a number of different U.S. attorney's offices on these cases. Is and I'm sure they are with New York. So, some people have suggested that there may actually be a sealed plea agreement. Um, it didn't sound like that from what Lanny Davis was saying. But is that something that would be done? And if so, why would they – why would they uh, uh, file something like that under seal? Normally, if there's a sealed plea agreement, the entire matter is under seal. So right. that doesn't sound right to me either. To, to go back to your prior question, Danny, it is possible that they are not looking to have him cooperate in other cases in the traditional way that you would uh, engage a cooperator. And we also have to think about the fact that this is uh, the information that he has now said through his attorney that he has to offer is about the president and I, like many people, think that the president will not be indicted in this matter. It's going to be a, a potential, you know, a report potentially outlining his conduct, and then that will go to Rod Rosenstein and potentially to Congress, and Congress will have to decide what to do. And so it's a different animal than your traditional cooperator going through the process in court, because the president won't be indicted, in my view. Well, what did you make of, da of Davis's uh, responses to me? I mean, do you, having heard them, do you think Cohen does have real information about the president's prior knowledge of Russian hacking or the Trump Tower meeting? Or is this just, as I suggested, a tease by Lanny Davis? Lanny Davis said that he has information, and it was funny the way he was responding to your questions, but it sounds to me like he does have information. And if you were representing Michael Cohen, um, would you be giving interviews suggesting that uh, in this way? Uh, that's one of the things that puzzles me. So if I represent a cooperator, what I want to do is tell that cooperator that you are now cooperating with the government attorneys and it's between you and the government. Your fate lies in their hands. You should be quiet. You should just talk to them, let them take your information and decide what to do with it. And they are going to be determining what to recommend to the judge in terms of sentencing. So this is very unusual to have a potential cooperator whose attorney is out on television talking about that potential I mean, cooperation. Yeah, it almost sounds like like. Annie Davis is almost beseeching Mueller and his team to come come to them and 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 ask them to 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 cooperate. It did sound like that. I don't understand the strategy, but again, there may be more going on behind the scenes that I don't know that you don't know that we'll find out eventually. So this is you find this as an incomprehensible legal strategy by Very uh, Lanny puzzling. Davis. <laughs> um, Very so, puzzling. All right, where does this go? You've said you don't believe uh, the president can be indicted, which is standard Justice Department policy, and um, uh, and yet Michael Cohen has just directly implicated him in uh, in two federal crimes, said he acted at the direction of the candidate, the candidate being Donald Trump. Um, so where does it go from here? In the near term, Michael, I really think it's a political issue. And if you look at that plea agreement and the information that Michael Cohen pled guilty to, there is not new information in the sense that much of that information and putting apart his own offenses, his tax offenses, uh, but much of the information about the payment to Stormy Daniels has been out in the public domain. And I'm not sure anyone is surprised to now see that in a plea agreement that Michael Cohen, in fact, was directed to pay uh, this money to Stormy Daniels. But what is new is that it's now 
clear that that is a crime uh, to which an individual has pled guilty and will likely serve some jail time. And that's very serious. And so, and just to put this in very concrete terms that I think people would understand is there's an information in the court file where the president is identified as individual number one in a criminal <laughs> document. Who's, that's, who's later identified as of January right. 2017 being the president of the United States. Right. It's um, not a secret in that document that that person right. is now the president of the United States. That's just the way that these documents are written and that you don't identify uncharged individuals by name. So it's a bit of a, uh, an oddity. You, just by singular title. <laughs> right. Does that make him an unindicted co-conspirator? It does. It puts him in the middle of the conspiracy to make this payment, which is a campaign finance violation. So I think that's really what the news is. Let me follow up on the the, uh, the indictment of a sitting president question, because I'm wondering if there's a middle ground here. Um, one possibility, which I think most people think would be the likeliest, is that Mueller sends, up, sends a report to Rosenstein, Rosenstein sends it up to Congress. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, the least likely is that he indicts a sitting president and prosecutes him. Um, that seems very unlikely. But what about um, an indictment that is then sort of held in abeyance um, until he leaves office? That's a very interesting question, and I want to go beyond that and answer another question as well. But the uh, the OLC opinions uh, opine that it is uh, That's the Office of Legal Counsel, the Office of Legal in the Counsel. Justice Department. Right. Sorry, we have wonks who <laughs> yeah. the show, but yeah. maybe not total wonks, <laughs> right? As much as Amy is. Right. right. Fair yeah. point. Fair point. The Office of Legal Counsel opinions uh, state that it is not uh, DOJ policy, Department of Justice policy, to indict a sitting president. So uh, I want to get back to the sitting president language um, <clears throat> later on. But your question is, if they did indict him, what would be the appropriate remedy? In other words, can you dismiss that indictment because it's not proper to indict a sitting president? Or would you hold that and say, he's sitting? He's the sitting president now, and the rationale is that he's too busy with the obligations of his office to deal with the criminal prosecution? And that is the rationale behind the opinions, um, as I understand them. And so you would hold it in abeyance and then possibly... Uh, go forward with that prosecution after he's no longer the sitting president. Right. And there wouldn't be a um, statute of limitations issue because he's got... You've indicted it within the statute of limitations. But the other point I wanted to make here is that these payments were in October of 2016. So the statute of limitations will not run uh, until five years from that date. And there's plenty of time with this, which is another reason why I find it puzzling that this plea agreement uh, was announced and uh, and that the plea uh, was taken yesterday instead of waiting until things are a little more sorted through. It's puzzling. Um, uh, I I do have to ask you one other question because you actually have a client who is somewhat in the middle of this story, Lisa Page, uh, the former or or the FBI uh, lawyer um, who was having the relationship with Peter Strzok uh, and they were texting back and forth, uh, exhibiting some animus to uh, Donald Trump when he was running for president. The Republicans in the House in particular have made much of this and suggest that uh, everything that flowed from that, i.e. the entire Russian collusion investigation uh, is uh, fruit from a poisoned tree because your client and her uh, friend, uh, Peter Strzok, uh, were so biased against the president. Her animus towards 
Trump notwithstanding. The inspector general investigated this matter extremely thoroughly for months and months and read every text message and also talked to all of the players involved in the Clinton email investigation. And the inspector general concluded that there was no evidence that bias had affected actions taken in the investigation. And I know you're going to, you know, there's one <laughs> small caveat to that, right. but the uh, there was no bias. And in fact, I can tell you that if you read the report very carefully, you will see that both Lisa Page and Pete Strzok were consistently on the forward-leaning edge of all decisions made during that investigation. They were not holding back. They were not trying to protect Secretary Clinton. They were trying to make sure that that investigation was conducted completely, thoroughly, and that every rock was uh, was so that, that was the Clinton email investigation, but right. the question I posed was, was really about Russia. the origins about the Russia investigation. And on that matter, they were extremely careful uh, in every respect not to allow that investigation and what they were looking into to become public. They were very careful about not taking steps that would make it an issue in the election. And if you remember, it wasn't. The, that investigation was very secretive. It was very closely held. And if anyone had had animus toward uh, candidate Trump, uh, they could have leaked it out to people like you and you would have published information about it. And the FBI agents and uh, lawyers did not do so. There there were other people who started leaking information about it before the election, but not them. Um, Amy, we've been uh, single-mindedly focused on the, on the uh, um, Cohen case because obviously um, he directly implicated the president of the United States. But um, – uh, 200 miles away in a courtroom in Alexandria, Virginia, um, uh, two minutes before or after, I can't remember now, um, the Cohen plea, a federal jury um, um, convicted um, uh, Paul Manafort um, on eight different uh, uh, felony counts of tax evasion and bank fraud, et cetera. Um, what is your sense of the impact that that um, case is going to have on uh, the Mueller investigation going forward. And tact as a prosecutor, as a former prosecutor, just tactically speaking, what's Mueller? Uh, what do you think? He, how will he benefit from um, from that conviction? Well, it seemed to me to be a strong case, and he's got another strong case pending here in D.C., and so uh, I'm not surprised by the verdicts at all. In fact, it um, would have been it, it would have been a problem if he had not won an acquittal. That would have could have really hurt his momentum. Won a conviction, you mean to say. Uh, won a so conviction, of, yeah. of course, I think uh, that that yeah. would have been very uh, damaging. But it was uh, – he was convicted on about half the counts. And I don't uh, I don't think that too much should be made of that. Juries compromise for various reasons and we can go into why they might have uh, come would out the way that they did. Would you retry those counts um, uh, where, the, where the jury could not come to a verdict? I'm not sure that it makes sense to retry those counts, and so I doubt that that will happen. I don't really right. see the purpose in, right. in doing that, especially where there's another indictment. Right. Uh, what do you think the odds are that Manafort uh, flips and cooperates? That's a good question. I, I get bothered by all of the commentary about uh, the Mueller team bringing these charges against Manafort because they are trying to get him to do that. I think those cases speak for themselves. They're, uh, they're serious charges and uh, serious offenses. And I'm 
I don't believe the line of thinking that they are bringing these charges against Manafort solely so that he will cooperate against uh, President Trump. I don't think that that's It's interesting right. because, because pretty much everyone assumes that that's what's going on based on what I don't know. I don't see it that way. And uh, and so that's one thing that has troubled didn't, me didn't about the Didn't the judge commentary. himself, Judge Ellis, seem to see it that way, right? He did make that comment, and I, I don't think that that's right. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not the way that I've seen the cases in any event. Um, and I don't know the answer to your question well, as to whether— Well, but look, I mean, they, may, maybe it wasn't the the, the main reason that they uh, prosecuted him. But now that he's been convicted, there is this added benefit potentially of having that leverage over uh, Paul Manafort before the sentencing. Wouldn't they take advantage of that? Wouldn't a responsible prosecutor do that? So prosecutors and agents are always interested in getting more information when they're pursuing, uh, you know, justice, trying to uh, pursue justice and uh, prosecute crimes that are worthy of being prosecuted. So just at the outset, probably, yes, if Paul Manafort's lawyers decided, okay, it's time to cooperate, let's bring him in and have him tell what he knows, I think that they probably would be open to that. But at this point, when he stands convicted of eight counts and a lot of information is out there about his past criminal conduct, he's not going to be that great a witness. So, you know, again, going back to the point I was making earlier, do you want to use someone like that in a as a cooperator in a trial? He's he's pretty damaged at this point, and, and maybe you don't. But again, when you're talking about the president of the United States and there's probably not going to be a trial, there's a different calculus that has to be made. Um, Amy Jeffers, thank you for joining us on Skullduggery. And given your vast legal expertise, I am certain we're going to ask you to come back. Well, it's great to be here. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, Danny. We'll be back with more Skullduggery. And now we're joined by someone else making big headlines this week, Omarosa Manigault Newman, who has a new book out, Unhinged, an insider's account of the Trump White House. Omarosa, welcome to Skullduggery. I'm so glad to be on. Hi, Michael. Hi, Dan. Hi. Uh, So listen, let's get to the news. um, And I think it'll be an opportunity for you to also uh, talk about your book. Um, Michael Cohen, um, uh, very much in the news uh, uh, since uh, he walked into federal court yesterday, pleaded guilty to multiple felony charges and pointed a finger directly at Donald Trump uh, for um, having directed him, he says, uh, to pay hush money uh, to two different women who uh, uh, President Trump is alleged to have had uh, affairs with. Uh, You you were pretty close to Michael Cohen. Um, You knew him well. And from what I can tell from reading your book, you you had a certain kinship with him. Um, And so I thought maybe we could start with you uh, giving us some of your insights uh, into Michael Cohen's uh, uh, character and um, and evolution here, because he is the one who famously said he would take a bullet uh, for Donald Trump, that kind of loyalty. Um, and you were also very loyal to Donald Trump. And you go on in, in, in your book, I think at the very end of your book, to say uh, that uh, you finally were able to escape uh, the cult of Trump land and you're free. Um, <laughs> personality. It's a personality cult. Well, tell us about Michael Cohen. He also escaped, uh, is trying to escape that, that, that cult. So first of all, let me just tell you, Michael Cohen and I are still close. I talked to him today, um, and I wanted him to know and reassure him that his friends are still his friends. We still have his back. And I was very upset about the uh, president's 
tweet about, you know, hiring a lawyer and taking a jab at Michael Cohen. Why kick a man while he's down? You know, this man is facing jail time. He has a family, has a beautiful wife. His daughter was my intern at the White House. I love this family. And you're right. Michael Cohen was 100% loyal to Donald Trump. And so I have to tell you that the way he's been portrayed is completely inaccurate. As you see in my book, I have an affinity for him because we both come out of the streets. We both made something out of, you know, difficult circumstances. And he did exactly what Donald Trump instructed him to do. He would not be paying off porn stars if Donald Trump had not slept with them and had these illicit relationships with them. And if Donald Trump had not directed him to pay these women off, I don't know how that makes him disloyal to the president or not a good picture. And I'm not, by the way, condoning this behavior. I'm just telling, I know what it's like to be on the end of Donald Trump telling you to do things that may not be exactly what you want to do, but may be a part of your job. And yet you write, uh, Amorosa, in the book, um, Trump was not always respectful to Michael, often mocking him and belittling him. Uh, Tell us about that. How did he belittle Michael Cohen and mock him? Yeah, you know, there's an example um, that I have to say that actually will hurt my heart to even share it with you all. Michael wanted Donald Trump to come to his son's bar mitzvah. And he basically begged the president to come. It would mean so much to his son and to his wife. And Donald came and in front of the entire group said, the only reason I came is because Michael begged me to be here. He literally begged me. And he said this in front of all of Michael's son's friends, peers, uh, Michael Cohen's family. And he was very demeaning about it at such an event as a bar mitzvah. He could have just shown up and said, yeah, I'm here. Okay, let's go. But instead, in front of his family, in front of his friends' peers, in front of his religious community, Donald Trump took a, a shot at him. Well, it sounds like— And I, you know— I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. But it, it sounds, Omaroso, like, like uh, you know, Michael Cohen um, and others um, are sort of begging for his affirmation, almost like a version of spousal abuse syndrome. I mean, what is the psychology there, and did you experience that yourself? Uh, well, it's pretty obvious when you read Unhinged about my— you know, after my, my father was murdered and, of course, my brother was murdered as well, that I was looking for positive male role models in my life. I don't hide that. I think that's why Donald and I connected is because he, you know, for me, that was aspirational, a billionaire. After growing up in the projects, I thought, man, if I could make something out of myself, if I could get to a point where I was, you know, I was safe away from Um, living in extreme poverty, I would feel good about myself. And so absolutely, Donald Trump played that role for me in my life. And there is something, I I guess I never thought about the psychological aspect of it, but I'm sure if you took a look at uh, Michael's background, you would probably find similar aspirational goals and looking for someone to be a positive male role model. By the way, you you said that you you just spoke to him. Um, What was that conversation like? What did he say? Well, because he was, you know, sharing some stuff about his family. I won't go into too much detail, but I will say that he, um, he was grateful that his friends are still in his corner like myself. And he expressed that gratitude. And I reassured him, I reassured him that we have his back that, you know, um, you really find out who your friends are 
in a situation like this. I was in a situation like this last December when a story, a, a, a lie was told that I was running around the White House being drug out. And that, that lie was told by somebody who was a former friend. And obviously, we all know that that was exactly that, a lie. Did he say anything about, about Trump, about President Trump? I'm not going to go into specific details, just out of respect for the fact that there was, you know, he was talking about his family in that context. But I will say that he is strong, but he also is affected by what is happening. And his family is affected. And I think people forget, people forget that he is a father, he is a wife that he has these important people in his life. So, but anyway. and, it, and it also is pretty clear he's going to have to go to a federal prison for, uh, for some lengthy period of time. But he is, according to his, one of his lawyers, Lanny Davis, prepared to testify uh, about other things he knows about uh, President Trump, particularly related to the Russia investigation. And you have said the same thing. Um, that you have knowledge uh, that you uh, uh, that is directly relevant to Robert Mueller's investigation. In the la- last page of your book, you said you received a call early this year from the FBI, and then you write, "We'll see how that goes." How did it go? <laughs> well, I'm still cooperating with them. Um, so you, I, all- I think it's important to cooperate with them because let me tell you why. We, you know, I was complicit with this in thinking that Donald Trump was going to do right by the American people. And now it's an opportunity for me to get things back on track, particularly protect the the dismantling of the presidency that I witnessed up close and personal. And so I'm looking forward to an opportunity to you know, continue to cooperate with them. And the American people deserve that. So can you tell us anything about your cooperation? Have you testified before the grand jury? Have you been interviewed uh, by the prosecutors working for Mueller? Um, How how far has this cooperation gone? Um, So I've been cooperating with them since the spring. I can't go into much more detail because I am still engaged in that cooperation and I don't want to compromise Mr. Mueller's investigation. So just know that I will continue to cooperate cooperate with them in any way that they see fit. And um, I think it's important for people to be honest with this special prosecutor and to have to bring back the dignity to this presidency. Um, you know, clearly one of the most newsworthy things you've said since the book came out is that you had knowledge of uh, that the, that then candidate Trump was aware of the Trump Tower meeting in real time. Um, so, you know, some of the pushback you've gotten is, but you didn't put that in your book. Clearly, that would have been uh, uh, pretty sensational news uh, for the book had it been in there, but you didn't put it in. Um, why didn't you put it in? And just secondly, just the another pushback. That's such a great question. Let me let me just okay. stop there before sure. you ask me a second question. Sure. It's an important question. I wish there's so many things I wish I could have put in the book. But when you are an author and you work with a publisher, they put you through what you they call a legal review and their lawyers decide whether or not certain things go in or not. Because we were talking about an active, ongoing investigation, I could not include those things in the book. I fought tooth and nail just to have that one line in there that says 
that I talked to um, Robert Mueller's team. They even were concerned about that. And as you know, Donald Trump and his team of goons, his lawyers, are trying to intimidate me now. They have filed for arbitration. They have sent threatening letters to my publisher. And you can look online on my Twitter and see my publisher's response to that. I mean, you know, this is important to know that while an ongoing investigation is still being carried out, that I could not write about extensively. So was the detail, was the detail that I'm afraid to ask? It's not that I'm afraid to talk about it, because clearly I am not afraid to talk about or disclose things. But I don't want to um, compromise that investigation, and nor did my publisher. But was the detail about the Trump Tower meeting in your manuscript? Is it in my manuscript? Well, was it's it not in, the, in my book? It, it's no. not in your published book, but did you write about it and then and then it was taken out by? No, no, no. They already outlined what could and could not. If it, if we were still under investigation, I wasn't even going to put pen to pad about it. It's not something that I could write about. It. They made it very, very clear. But if can, it's an ongoing investigation, if it's an ongoing investigation, I was not allowed to write about it. It's simple as that. But uh, Amorosa, you 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 are free to write about anything you witnessed, anything you saw, anything you were directly involved in any conversations you had. So do you have firsthand knowledge of the president's um, uh, involvement or knowledge of the Trump Tower meeting? Is that something that was said in your presence that you know to be true or something you heard from somebody else? I I think you need to remember that I'm not just someone who popped up on the Trump scene. The full depth and breadth of my knowledge on in Trump world is extensive. And so to answer your question, everything that this special uh, prosecutor has asked me in regards to that and other things I have fully participated in and fully cooperated with and will continue to do so. And at the proper time, when I'm able to talk about all of these things and share these things with the American people, I will do so. Right. But I'm not gonna jeopardize, I'm not gonna jeopardize that investigation um, by talking about it until it is completed. And that's just out of respect for the process. Uh, Amoroso, the, uh, 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 Lanny Davis, Michael Cohen's lawyer, has made it clear that Michael Cohen is willing to tell what he knows about that matter to the Congress, to the congressional committees, the Senate Intel Committee, Judiciary Committee, or House. Are you willing to testify to Congress, any of the congressional committees, about what you know about the president and his knowledge of uh, the Trump Tower meeting? Yes. Yes, yes, any time, any place, but they, yes. But they have not reached yes, out. Yes, yes, And any time, any not. place. Only and if the they... special prosecutors. Uh, and now, let's be clear. I'm not inviting trouble, but let's be clear. I'm not afraid <laughs> but, of... But let's just I'm say not, one of I'm them might listen to this podcast. Let me tell you why. I have the truth on my side, as well as 100 emails and <laughs> documents and other things. Ooh, 100 but emails. I, I, you know, I, I'm not intimidated by that. Do you have... Because do, only people that get worried and intimidated are um, people who don't have truth on their side. I'm, unfortunately, I've got about enough time for one more question. Okay, well, here's, 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 here's my uh, last question, which is, based on what you know, based on what you've seen, based on uh, documents that you have, emails that you've retained... Uh, do you believe that Donald Trump has committed impeachable uh, offenses? Do you think he should the the uh, House of Representatives uh, should 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 impeach him? Yes. Okay. <laughs> and and you'd be willing to testify at his trial before the Senate? 
God, you guys have advanced this from testifying to trial to Senate. Yeah. Well, if he gets it's impeached, a, he goes on trial before the Senate. <laughs> that's the way the that's the way the process works. I think I, I think I've made it very clear that I am fully willing and ready to um, testify to cooperate, to help advance this um, investigation. But more importantly, I think people should read the book and get the background and understand where I'm coming from and what's brought me to this place, because I think that they'll get a full scope of the inner workings of Trump world. Thank you, Amorosa Manigault Newman. The book is Unhinged, an insider's account of the Trump White House. And uh, it's great to have you on Skullduggery. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks, Amorosa. Bye. And now, as the walls are caving in on President <laughs> Trump and the legal process is tightening the noose to defend our president <laughs> is Ann Coulter, um, uh, perhaps uh, one of the most uh, one of the president's most uh, vigorous defenders. Her last book was called, if you can believe it, In Trump We Trust. Um, I think uh, E pluribus awesome. Uh, yeah, uh, I think that's a uh, title that say Michael Cohen might have some problems <laughs> with uh, uh, this week. Um, anyway, uh, Ann Coulter, welcome to Skullduggery. She got a new book out. Oh, yes. Don't forget the new book. And Anne has a new book out called Resistance is Futile, How the Trump-Hating Left Lost Its Collective Mind. Um, I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) This will probably be the only debate. Between the resistance and, and uh, a Trump supporter. We, we don't debate. We just ask questions. <laughs> okay, yes. whatever. All right. Um, Michael Cohen and yes. Paul Manafort, two um, people close to Donald Trump. Paul Manafort was his campaign chairman. Uh, Michael Cohen, his longtime lawyer and personal fixer, uh, both now guilty of uh, federal felonies. Um Does that shake your trust in our president at all? (laughs) No, not at all. Though I think it confirms my chapter on Mueller being the Russian agent, which I know you want to turn to next anyway. um, uh, This has absolutely nothing to do with the Trump campaign. I mean, I do wish, and I wished at the time, that it had just been Trump, Hope, and Corey Lewandowski. I think things were going great when it was just the three of them, but toward the end, he was forced to hire someone. Delegates were being stolen. That's what Manafort came in for. Um, you forgot Roger Stone's role at that point, but he was fired. Yeah, and then remember he's before the campaign to even hang started, quite a bit, according uh, to him. Yes, yeah. um, <laughs> but in any event, um, it has absolutely nothing to do with with Trump, with Russian collusion, and the Cohen. <laughs> the Cohen plea, I mean, that just proves this is nothing but trying to get Trump. This is the silliest allegation. I have a chapter on Cohen. Campaign finance law? <sighs> Are you kidding me? Well, okay, well, when you say campaign finance law, you might get some snores. But if you say hush money to uh, silence women that the president's uh, allegedly having an affair with, that's a little all legal. sexier, isn't it? Um, allegedly had sex with. Um, that's all legal. Paying hush money, as, as it's called, paying a hush money is totally legal, and I think he would have done it with or without running well, for office. In contrast why did to, he say he didn't do it? I mean, why did he... For the wh- same, he didn't want anybody to know, but he... Uh, look, unlike the crucial thing of 
what what is so silly, I think, about a lot of the campaign finance law and described briefly in my book is you have to prove that it was done b- because of the campaign. So what if Trump hires a new florist at Mar-a-Lago? Because if people walk into Mar-a-Lago and the flowers are drooping, are they going to vote for that guy for president? I mean, it really is kind of a scam. Any expense is treated as, well, that was for the campaign. So they're going to have to prove oh, that right, Trump... Well, drooping, drooping flowers would, would not be decisive in an election, I don't think. Well, he has to pay his, <laughs> his gardener. He has to pay, um, you know, upkeep, get new suits. What if he settles a different kind of suit? He has lots of businesses. What if somebody sues him for discrimination of some sort and he settles that case? In John Edwards' (laughs) case, John Edwards ought to be on death row if what Trump did was wrong because in John Edwards' case, you have all these wealthy donors paying for Riel Hunter her entire lifestyle. Do you think they're still paying that? Whereas, I will bet you, before he was running for president and well after he's president, He's going to be paying nuisances. All right. Now, John Edwards was <laughs> indicted uh, by the Obama Justice Widely Department, ridiculed by the way, prosecution. and he happened to have been acquitted. But He was but acquitted Michael and it was widely Cohen, ridiculed, and that's the end Michael of those Michael Cohen has now pled guilty, saying he made these payments at the direction of Donald right. Trump and that it was for the purpose of influencing the election. He knows better than any of us what the purpose of that payment was. And he said under oath, yet yeah, in federal court, it was for the purpose of influencing the election. And might I point out that the Trump Sessions Justice Department brought this case. It was reviewed at the highest levels of the Justice Department, we can be sure, by Trump appointees. And they determined this was a felony violation of federal law. But when you say he knows better than anyone else, you act like, you know, we're listening to Michael Cohen um, in a confessional as opposed to this is what the prosecutors are making him say to give him a more lenient sentence. And who cares what he says? Well, Actually, I mean, not, sorry, even if it's true. Who cares what he oh, says? Sorry. Yeah. Even if it's true, for one thing, I think it's highly dubious other than for my point, oh my gosh, all they want to do is get Trump. The end result of this is, ooh, he's going to have to pay a fine. Um, but but to, to tack on this this petty little campaign finance violation shows that it was political. Um, I think you take it with political, a grain of salt. but it was brought by you the take Trump it with a grain Justice of salt. Department. Oh, well, get to that. Yeah. You take it with a grain of salt because it's an exchange for a lighter sentence. Yeah. And obviously... Well, for um, the record, uh, we don't know that yet, that it's an exchange right. for a lighter... There's no cooperation deal right. yet. right. So. Um, okay, but I'm. I look at Michael Cohn and I don't read um, scrupulous law abider. <laughs> so I'm thinking <laughs> that's that's all I heard during the raid. This guy, it's gonna be huge. They're gonna get the taxi medallions, the tax, the taxes, blah blah blah. Um, the th- the final thing, or the third thing, before I get to ooh, Sessions Department of Justice. Okay. He may have done it, but Trump can give his campaign whatever he wants to. Right. He has he to report Cohen it. He back. has to disclose it. Yeah, and if yeah. he doesn't, he's going to have to pay a great big fine. That's what all of this is about, <laughs> because Trump didn't have the dignity to engage in you know, sexual relations with a floozy in the safe sanctity of the Oval Office. <laughs> I want to ask you a question that will give you an opportunity to actually talk about your book, uh-huh. um, and this and, is in my book, by the way. Okay, no, I know, but but the, but this actually goes to the, uh, the 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 subtitle here of your book: How the Trump Hating Left Lost Its Collective Mind. So earlier this week, uh, we talked about at the beginning of the show, 
you had the, the Manafort um, conviction and the Cohen uh, guilty plea and uh, the uh, media media pundits and the left and lots and lots of other people are out there saying this uh, is indisputably the worst day of the Trump presidency, <laughs> right? right? Uh-huh. Um, is this an example of uh, the the liberals losing their collective mind, or was this a very bad day for Donald Trump? I don't Trump? think it was a very bad day. I've heard this almost every once a week. Can you make the case that it was a good day for Donald Trump? Um, it was a good day in the sense that um, it's been – I mean, more than two years, if you consider how long the FBI has been looking into Russian collusion and looking to get this guy on some crime, and all they end up with is a campaign finance violation, which actually, I think is campaign quite finance dubious. collusion. Actually, it was Donald Trump's collusion with a conspiracy to violate federal campaign uh, law. Campaign finance, I'm jaywalking. <laughs> I would take me. more seriously. When, when, by the way, when when <laughs> when Bill Clinton's fundraisers were all under investigation for multiple campaign <laughs> finance violations, uh, for taking money from Chinese and Indonesian and other overseas interest. Were you as dismissive of uh, that thought, being as well, some look, sort of was... petty, you know, snooze fest technicality? Kind of. I mean, I listed them as violations of the law, but as you know, what really excited me was these <laughs> perjury and subornation of perjury and destruction of documents. Concealment but of a consensual sexual affair. When we had... There's some parallels, aren't there? No, there are no parallels there are no for parallels? Stormy Lewinsky. But <laughs> hang on. Um, we had under, under Clinton, we had um, Chinese nationals bringing duffel bags of cash to the DNC. We had fundraisers. Those were good stories, by the way. <laughs> they were good stories. In and the we Oval were all, all over those. Ted Shung. Yeah. In the Oval or in the White House, you have, and you're not allowed, whoa, that's a campaign finance violation. And did, was there an independent counsel assigned? No, there was not. What did the New York Times say? The New York Times chastised Janet Reno for her blunders. For her, even the Saturday Night Live was tougher on Janet Reno. Um, okay, since we're on since we're on Bill Clinton for a moment uh-huh. here. Um, isn't this phenomenon here uh, losing its collect liberals losing the collective mind? Isn't that exactly what uh, liberals said about conservatives and and wasn't it sort of true back in the Clinton era we talked about Clinton de- like derangement syndrome. Right. So isn't this like a isn't this just sort of part of our politics now that both no. sides Well, one side has power. Um th- I mean I Right. I, I the, could the think side of that doesn't have power, loses its collective <laughs> oh, no, mind. No, no, no. The left always has power in the media. The ones there were some Clinton deranged, um, who, whom I will not name until we're off air. But you know who I'm talking about. And you know, <laughs> it's like five dorks pushing what was it, the Mina conspiracy. Mina, Mina yeah. There are a few other crazy yeah. things, but most of it was shot down by the conservative well, Vince media. Vince Foster too. Vince I mean. Foster, but who was shooting that down? It was like wasn't Byron York the one who was incessantly writing. Well, no, he committed suicide. And ultimately, Brett Kavanaugh working for Ken Starr. Right. Whereas here, it's it's the New York Times. And how many times have we heard, worst day of, it used to be the worst day of his campaign, worst day of his presidency, this is it, we've got him now. I mean, I heard it about the Carter, Carter Page FISA warrant, heard it about the dossier. It's always, this is the worst day. And what they, they end up getting him on 
a campaign finance violation, which they are never going to be able to prove. Um, all right, let's talk about uh, some of what's in your book uh, because you uh, mount a rather uh, spirited, um, completely <laughs> over the atta- uh, top attack on Robert Mueller and his investigation. And I just want to read you a couple of lines. Oh, excellent. Uh, I love your hearing prose. my book. <laughs> uh, this is from the chapter Mueller's the Russian! Exclamation point. If liberals are looking for Soviet style corruption of American democracy, they couldn't do better than the office of Robert Mueller. Mueller is running a star chamber answerable to no one. What are you talking about? Um, I'm talking about there being really no limit to his commission. At this point, he is so far beyond anything having Soviet to do with... style corruption. Yeah, to what, be... What are you referring to? I am referring to looking at... Here, just start examining people. Um, see if you can find somebody committing a crime here. As I go on to say in that chapter, I cite the Harvey Silverglade book, Three Felonies a Day. You may have read it or heard of it. But he makes the argument that there are so many federal crimes that the average law-abiding person mowing his lawn, trying to pay his taxes, could be inadvertently committing three felonies a day. If you have 17 smart prosecutors who hate the president, hate everyone around him and start examining person by person, I think probably a lot of people you're going to find, you're going to catch on something, especially something as petty and stupid as a campaign finance violation. Well, let's see. He just brought his first indictment to trial. It was the the chairman of the Trump campaign. Oh, for two months. And it was... Paul Manafort, and he was convicted of eight felony counts Having of federal tax campaign. evasion. Right. So are, are those well, real crimes? I mean, don't pay your taxes. Look, I don't, I'm not Is a tax a lawyer, so I cannot ridicule or say one way or the other or what's going to or say, yes, ooh, these are very serious. But I will say that you are allowed to make money abroad and not pay taxes on it. You have to move it here, there, and the other place. And who pioneered these methods? George Soros. He has 20 times as much money as Paul Manafort. Could we get Mueller to look at Soros next? We, we have a process, and the process is called the criminal justice system. And yeah. prosecutors bring indictments, and judges oversee them, and juries deliberate, and and they deliberated here and they found multiple federal felonies. I know, but I'm telling so you, I'm you not a tax that? lawyer. I can't. That yeah, I do, but I think verdict. there are, but, yeah. but I think there are a lot of people. So what's corrupt about what Mueller has done? He brought Because why a, did he choose Manafort to go after? Because he has some affiliation with Trump even though it has nothing to do with well, the campaign. Some affiliation, he was the chairman of the campaign. Okay, but seriously, it was for two months. He had won the nomination. It was to save the delegates. The Trump campaign was Trump. Part of the craziness of the Russian collusion, if I could just say quickly, I think it's a demented theory to begin with, but it, it would be crazy enough if you're talking about like Marco Rubio or Ted Cruz because let's... Let's be fair here. Those were actual campaigns. They had campaign managers. They had pollsters. They had, like, um, what do they call them? The the, the pre-event crowd. Trump didn't have any of that. His plan for winning the White House is, I'm going to spend 18 months giving speeches to 10,000-person crowds pushing popular ideas. I mean, he was made fun of it for 18 months. He was forced to hire someone at the last minute. But it's not like these are guys, what should I say now? What do the pollsters say? He's our first hip-hop president. Um, you say Mueller is uh, running a star cha- chamber answerable to no one. Actually, he's answerable to Rod Rosenstein, who's the deputy attorney general appointed by President Trump. Um, 
Rosenstein isn't, well, he was chosen by Sessions. He's really not doing anything. There, there is no one overseeing his work. It's not, they should have put a U.S. attorney on it. That is more seriously answerable. It should but, but when you say answerable to no one, I mean, that is demonstrably false. He is answerable to a deputy the attorney duly general confirmed who's deputy attorney general. Times. Well, yeah, okay. One person but, overseeing this, I mean, at least in Clinton's day to get an independent counsel, A, you had to have the attorney general, B, go to a three-judge ju- three panel specifically to decide whether or not there should be an independent counsel. Here, it's just this open-ended letter from Rosenstein, um, who, who, you know, speaking of... of of people I wouldn't want to be in a foxhole with. I mean, he is the most timid, frightened little person. I I do think Sessions made a big mistake picking Rosenstein. And not because I think he's corrupt or something. I just think he's very easily intimidatable. One guy there who's part of the swamp, and he writes that commission that's just... I don't know. I I think Trump looks kind of sleazy. See if he can find anything there, Robert Mueller. Well, what about Mueller himself if he's this sort of... Running the star chamber, out of control prosecutor, um, making all these bad decisions. Do you should he be fired? I think Trump, as I describe, I know Trump has full legal authority to do so. But no, I think Trump should keep him around the same way um, for the same reason that Obama refused to produce the long form birth certificate. Speaking of nuts on my side. (laughs) Um, But they were very insistent on that long form. And that was one thing. I mean, I was kind of mad at Trump at the time. I'm glad he took up the birther cudgel because we finally got the long form birth certificate, which shut up the last remnant of the crazies. Where did you hear about the birther thing? Wait, wait, wait. You, you're saying that... Uh, Obama that... left it there to make his opposition okay. look crazy. I think... And, and Trump obliged, you... didn't he? he well, he got him... So he kind of participated in the craziness <laughs> and fueled it. I was and... not a big fan of that move at the time, but he did get him to produce the long-form birth certificate, which had become like this holy grail for the few remaining nutty birthers. Um, and then that was the end of it. And I think Mueller... Hating Mueller is actually—I think it makes the left look insane. Um, You seem to be quite dismissive of what the Russians did in the 2016 election. You know, at times you seem to even question whether they actually did it, although— Correct. I think—but now that um, we have an indictment with specific pieces of evidence in the— Not evidence, allegations. We have every congressional committee that has reviewed it has endorsed— including the House Republicans have endorsed the idea that— and accepted the idea that the Russians attacked our electoral process— um, uh, you seem to be the only holdout at this point. Um, no, I think there are a lot of Russian yeah, well, scholars yeah. um, who are uh, not, who, with whom I am you, not I should politically say you sim- and President Trump seem to be the only holdout. No, and Putin. Yeah, and, and Putin. Putin. That's right. <laughs> yes, yes. A, a trio. There yeah. is the triumvirate. <laughs> Coulter, Putin, Trump. There has, as a point of fact, not been any new evidence. I mean, Did evidence. Did you read the Mueller not, indictment? Yeah, it's an indictment. They're allegations. You put in Whoa. names and you say this is when they did something. Yeah. But look, at the time when Robbie Mook first launched the the Russian conspiracy theory, the New York Times, the LA Times, the Daily News, who kept putting Trump on their cover in a clown suit. They hated Trump with the hot, hot hate of a thousand sons. They're all laughing about um, Kremlin gremlin. Nobody was taking the Russian collusion story seriously at the time when the media was honest because Trump hadn't won and they hadn't lost their minds yet. All these cybersecurity experts are on the record saying you're never going to be able to prove it's the Russians. Agent X, Fancy Bear, Cozy Bear, Look, whatever. I'm not going to indulge this. They've there, already proven 
proven the it's case. It's out read there. The, read the indictment. No it new. I've read the indictment. It's just allegations. You think so they made the stuff up? I mean, there are emails from Lucifer 2.0. Including Stephen Sostanovich yeah. and many right. others quoted in the right. New York Times at the time said, it doesn't make sense that it was Russians. We haven't seen evidence that it's the Russians. You have the um, veterans um, of intelligence, whatever. Yeah, Vips. yeah, yeah, yeah. A bunch of lefties who you right. like regularly mock, and now Not now really. they're your allies. No, but what you the know. same thing can be said about MSNBC and the New York Times. You used to quote mm-hmm. them. I never cared about the weapons of mass, mass destruction in Iraq. I wanted to go in for other reasons, so I didn't really care one way or another about what the weapons mm-hmm. of mass. I wanted an Arab Israel, but that's a separate point. Um, but they were very well respected when they were questioning the the intelligence for the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Now that they're saying, why won't you give us any evidence? No, now you just want to browbeat us to death. There, there has been no actual evidence. Okay, that's point one. Let's say it's true. My next point is, so what? <laughs> yeah. Israel interferes all the time. Mexico interferes all the time. Let's take Mexico, China for interferes Let's all the Mexico. time. If Mexican intelligence um, had hacked your emails and all your email exchanges with your buddy Stephen Miller... Uh, and oh, then dump them it. all on the uh, uh, on the on through WikiLeaks or someplace else on the internet, uh-huh. um, and we got to read what you and 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 Stephen Miller were saying uh-huh. to each other. Uh-huh. Um, uh, how would you feel about that? I would I would be so happy. I would dance a jig. Oh well, I'll it would tell be you what. so edifying. Okay. Well, then you can release them on Skullduggery. Yeah, share them with us. <laughs> if we, we don't need WikiLeaks, we don't need Mexican right intelligence. Just, search, just you know, I yeah. want them printed in the New York Times. I think it would be so we, edifying we for their readers. We will them on Yahoo News. <laughs> the Coulter Miller exchanges <laughs> verbatim. Well, read look, them all. Well, look, but I will say if I was. Um, if I was secretly tape recorded, um, yeah. as I often am, as are all of us, um, and that came out a few weeks before the election, that would be just as illegal. And I don't think I'd like that either, particularly oh, okay. if I were running for president and using the P word. And yet one of these has turned into a two year investigation involving a special counsel's office, the FBI, the entire mainstream media. No one seems to want to know who leaked the Access Hollywood tape. Every bit is illegal, and that was done by an an American. And in both cases, you have something you don't want the public to know that is being presented, something the media does to Republican candidates all the time. How about Jack Ryan, who would have beaten the angel Obama when he first ran for Senate in Illinois, having his sealed divorce records produced? The media does this to Republicans Every election, something we don't want out there. Ha ha. Maybe the Russians did it to you guys this time. Speaking of ha, ha, uh, ha. No, I got speaking of, uh, of of marriages with some tension. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna switch gears here. You famously introduced Kellyanne to George Conway. Uh, and um, as you might have noticed or read lately, uh, there's been a little um, tension in that um, uh, in that coupling, and I'm just wondering if you have offered uh, any I'll couples explain therapy. Explain the tension, because uh, yeah, uh, George Conway, who we both well know, uh, as do you, back from uh, from Clinton another Paris, time. Uh, after um, uh, moving to Washington and um, 
and uh, even uh, at one point agreeing to take a top job in the Justice Department. The head of the Civil Division of the Justice Department. not to do so and is now uh, tweeting almost as much as you, Ann Coulter, <laughs> uh, about uh, the um, improprieties of our president, uh, who his wife, Kellyanne Conway, is ardently defending on cable news every day. From the White House. Uh, from the White House. So, um, <laughs> so are you uh, offering to patch things up? Yes. Marriage them counseling. Out? A little marriage counseling? Yes. In fact, I emailed mm-hmm. George recently and told him, and I think, you, having read it, I think you'll agree with me. I think my book is the one book about Trump that both of them could agree with because I do not have rose-colored glasses on when it comes to descriptions of the man himself. <laughs> Um, wow, that was a good segue to promote your book. No, but it's true. It's true. I think some of the some of the Trump defense on our side. I mean, I I do think he's he's the first hip hop president. He's like Nicki Minaj, constantly insulting so his that? enemies. Yeah. Um, I think he's a lot of fun. I support him, but can I not be honest about him? And I am perfectly honest about him. And I don't see any point in pretending that. He's, for example, built a wall. He has not. He has basically not kept any of his major promises. Which is the promises. thing you cared about the most. Correct. And he has completely let you down. That's why my advice to the resistance, I think, is excellent. If they would listen to me, they might be able to meet him in 2020. They might even be able to impeach him, though I doubt that. Um, but if they ran somebody like Sherrod Brown, I don't know how defending you know, the people who already live here became just a Republican thing. But at this point, because they are crazy, I think we could get... Um, the left to start defending pedophilia if we said Trump was against it. (laughs) It Uh, used to be Democrats cared about the working class, the middle class, the loss of manufacturing jobs. This thing about America sucks, we're getting rid of the borders, Andrew Cuomo saying America was never great. If you would run a sane person, the old Sherrod Brown, who was more of like a blue-collar Democrat, or my suggestion to the rap last week, I seriously think this, this is not a joke. I think the strongest candidate the Democrats could run is Alec Baldwin because he's an old style blue collar Democrat. Do, he could do his yeah. Trump imitation. No, in that's the debates, not that good. He's too mean. Would, but you know, but could you get uh, Trump versus Sher- Trump? Could you get behind the Sherrod Brown? Maybe. He, but he Ooh, can't. Ooh, we got some news. But he can't join on to the crazy side now. If that's and if 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 they dropped the crazy stuff, but the true Sherrod Brown. The true Sherrod Brown, the old blue-collar Democrat. Because it's not Trump's policies. He has a lot of Democrat policies on things. It wasn't supposed to be tax-cutting first. Well, I mean, there's probably some affinity between Sherrod Brown and and Trump on on trade, right? Yeah, and Tester, but they'll get drummed out of the party if they say anything nice about Trump. Now, if they lose the craziness, that's why Chapter 1 is excellent advice to the resistance. If they followed it, they might be able to beat him in 2020. Do you think think that... uh, Republicans are going to hold on to the House, or do you think they're going to lose it? Um, I, you know, I, I have no idea. It's obviously history suggests it's going to be a blue wave. The question is, is it going to be a tsunami or a ripple? Um, I've, I think if Trump really went hard on his issues, like sanctuary cities, I think he could prevent a, blue, a huge blue wave. And we have like, what do we have, 28 seats? Me, Republicans, 28 seats to give up. So we can lose some seats and hold the House. All all you need to do is hold the House by one vote. There's Mm -hmm. no dimmer switch in the Congress. It's you have it or you don't. And and if you don't, um, does Trump get impeached? 
Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, I could have told you that at any time. Right. They'll get, right. they'll impeach him for a hangnail. Yeah, um, and uh, and 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 quite a bit more, most likely. Uh, if no, once there is once more. Michael Two Cohen years tells his full story, so, but yes. uh, anyway, look, this we got a headline out of this. Coulter endorses Sherrod Brown, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and I think we better quit while yeah. we're ahead. Um, He's got to come out for the wall. Um, all right, with that proviso, uh, Ann Coulter, thanks for joining us Thank on you. Skullduggery. Thanks to all our great guests for joining us on this week's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And tell us what you think. Leave a review. And Skullduggery is also on Sirius XM. Subscribers can catch the latest episode on POTUS Channel 124 every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time with replays at 10 p.m. on Saturday and Sundays at 2 a.m. and 1 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.